Welcome to Peace by Believing with John Redmond, Associate Pastor of First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas. To say these are turbulent times in our country may be an understatement. We are a nation that is divided over politics, the economy, race, and many other issues. To say it another way, our country is at an intersection in its history, and it is important that we choose to head down the correct road. On today's program, John continues his message, America at a Crossroads. I got to thinking about the Pledge of Allegiance. And I did a little reading and studying on the Pledge of Allegiance, and I learned some things about it that I did not know. You may already know this, or maybe this will be new to you too, but the Pledge of Allegiance, the Pledge of Allegiance was first written in 1892. And these were the words of the original pledge. This was the first version of the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to my flag and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. There's the Pledge of Allegiance in 1892. Now, in 1923, the pledge was amended, and the phrase, uh, my flag, was replaced by the flag of the United States of America. So in 1923, it said, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. That was our pledge in 1923. Well, in 1954, in response to threats at that time from communist countries and from the emerging communist world of that day, President Eisenhower asked Congress to add the two words under God to the Pledge of Allegiance. And so the Congress voted, and they voted to add the two words, the prepositional phrase, under God. And that led us to the 31-word Pledge of Allegiance that we now have today. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. So the part about under God didn't get added to the Pledge of Allegiance until 1954 under President Eisenhower and the Congress that he worked with. I think that up until that point, it was understood that we were under God based on some things that I'll share later from the Declaration of Independence, but nonetheless, it wasn't there, and so it was added. And that says to me that as recently as 70 or so years ago, the President of the United States, the Congress of the United States said, we need to make clear, as the leaders of this country, as the, one who ha- the ones who have been entrusted with building a wall around the American castle to protect us, that in order for our country to be all that it can be, all that it should be, all that it was intended to be, we must make clear that we are one nation under God. And they put it in the pledge. And friend, let me say to you today, the moment we cease being one nation under God, in that moment, we are a nation that is going under. 
And yet, in our day, there has been so much of the reverence of God, the fear of God that has been lost. And I'm saying as we refurbish an imperfect castle and as we rebuild an imperfect wall, we need to use the stone of reverence for God. That's how you know who to vote for. That's how you know what laws are good and which laws are bad. You ask this question, which candidate, which laws best represent God and the teachings of his word? Because those would be the candidates that would lead us to better reverence God. So that's stone number one, reverence for God. Now, stone number two is, is equally as important, but it is, it's an extension of stone number one, but it's different. It's totally different from stone number one. Stone number two, not only do we need reverence for God, but we need to refurbish America. We need to rebuild the wall with what? With love for our fellow American citizens. Now, we need love for everybody, no matter what country they're from. But since I'm preaching today about America, I just wanted to say it that way and make it even more specific because I think it has a little more punch to it. What do we need in our hearts? We need love for our fellow Americans. That's what Joel Gregory was saying at the Southern Baptist Convention in 1988. He said, in all of our earnestness, with all of our conviction to build a strong wall around our denomination, if we don't have love for one another, we're going to have a wall, but we're not going to have a denomination anymore. Because what did Jesus say? Jesus said, by their love, you will know them. It is not our orthodoxy. Our orthodoxy is important. Our, is important. our theology is important. Our convictions are important. And that's why I started out with reverence for God. We can't compromise our convictions. But if we don't add to those convictions a love in our heart and a tenderness in our heart, even for people and with people who are different from us, who have different views from us, who look at the American situation differently. We all look at it through our own lens, through our own perspective. But just because I see America from my perspective, that doesn't necessarily mean that's how other people are looking at America. And so just because someone else looks at America differently than I do, and, and their convictions are different than I am, that I don't compromise my convictions to accommodate them, but that doesn't give me an excuse to belittle them or to demonize them or to hate them, or to throw stones at them, or to say, you're what's wrong with America. No, it is my responsibility as an American, but even more than as an American, as a Christian, as a child of God, to communicate to those who are different from me, who look at things different than I do. We may disagree. You have a, one perspective, I have my perspective, but I have to be able to put my arm around that brother. I have to be able to put that, my arm around that sister and say, we may look at it differently. But in my heart, there's love for you. There's, there's, there's no hate. There's no animosity. There's no bitterness. There's no resentment. There's no trying to demon. No, there's love. And that's what's missing in America. That's what Joel Gregory said he was afraid was missing from the Southern Baptist Convention at that time, or at least potentially he was afraid it could be missing. And that's what Adrian Rogers said was a prophetic word from God. And what I'm saying today is I'm afraid the same things happen to our country. We have our convictions. And especially those of us who are Christians, we're strong about our convictions. But we can't let our convictions cause us to hate people. Because what in the world is that? And if we do that in trying to be true to the Bible, we've actually disobeyed the Bible. 
Because God tells us in his word that it is our responsibility to love. Love people who look at things like we do. Love people who have the same perspective of America that we do. Love people who grew up like we did. Love people who look like we look. But also to love people who are different from us. Who were, born, who were raised different, who, who look different, who think differently than we do. We love them because they are our brothers and sisters in this nation of America. Now, the Declaration of Independence, of course, was signed on July the 4th. In 1776, 244 years ago, religious liberty may be the most important liberty we have as American citizens. Because with religious liberty, we have the right, even though it's, it's weird and we're all in different rooms, but we have the right to come to church today and sing about Jesus. I have the right to come to church today and open the Bible and teach about Jesus. You have the right, right there where you are in your home, or if we could come up here to come up here and to worship God as you see fit. And that is a right that we should cherish and do everything we can can to defend life, liberty, and then the pursuit of happiness. And so the Declaration of Independence says, hey, we're all created equal. Our creator has given us these uh, unalienable rights that, that belong to everybody. And so what I'm saying is, as we think about America, yes, we have our convictions, and yes, we want to reverence and honor God, and we should never compromise that. But neither should we allow our convictions to hate people who are different from us. Let me ask you a question. When Jesus was on this earth, did he have convictions? Yes, he did. He, had, he was full of convictions. Second question. When Jesus was on this earth, did he rub shoulders with people who had different convictions than he did? Sure he did. Most everybody he was up against had different convictions than he did. Let me ask this question. Did Jesus love those people? Yes, he did. Even the people, the religious leaders of that day who turned against him, the Jewish people of that day who turned against him, the Romans who crucified him, even the people who nailed him to that cross, you talk about a difference of opinion. What was Jesus saying? Was he saying, God, zap them dead for what they've done? Obviously, they're, sin they're sinning against us. Is that what Jesus, no, what did Jesus do? He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus never compromised his convictions, but he never sacrificed his love. He always loved. He never stopped loving. It was unconditional love. And what I'm saying today is, is one of the things that is missing in America is we have these two extremes one is saying, don't change anything. One is saying, we have to change everything. And what's happening is the two extremes have turned on each other so that now our country is actually fighting against each other. We're at war with each other. We're at odds with each other. America, to a large extent, whether it's in Congress, whether it's uh, just in, in, the, in the world and not even in the political world, but just as people talk about politics, we are against each other. We, we look to see who is our enemy instead of seeing who can we put our arms around, who can we shake hands with and be their friend. And so we need love. That's what's missing today is love. And I'm encouraging you, keep your convictions. I'm keeping mine. I'm not backing down from what the Bible says on anything. But I pray I would never let my convictions make me think it's okay to hate somebody who doesn't see it that way or to demonize somebody who looks at America differently than I do. You know, in these last few weeks, even during this pandemic, 
we've seen some things in America that have been very disturbing. First of all, we have seen the sin of racism raise its ugly head. You know, I, I know I'm naive. And I'll be the first to admit that I'm naive. But I honestly thought that we had gone farther away from that than, than we have. And, and I'm sure it's because I was raised. When I, and the way I was raised, I was raised just that some, this color of somebody's skin doesn't mean anything. When I grew up in East Tennessee, I, I went to an elementary school there called Nichols Elementary School. And I was there from the first grade through, I believe, the fourth grade. And during those years, my best friend was a guy named Buster Jones. And Buster and I ate lunch together. We played ball together. I would go to his house after school sometime. He would come to my house after school sometime. We went to each other's birthday parties. Buster was a black kid, and I was a white kid. And yet, you know, to us, it never mattered. We never even thought about it. We moved from Tennessee to East Texas and got involved in sports and school there. And I've looked back on those years of my life. Many of my friends were black. Many of my friends were, were Hispanic. Some of my friends were Asian. There were people from different backgrounds. Many of my friends were white. But in, in, the, in the world I grew up in, even in those years, it didn't make any... I played ball. With, and, and some of us were white. Some were black. Some were Hispanic. Some were from different ethnic backgrounds. But it didn't, it didn't make any difference because that, the color of our skin doesn't matter. What does the Declaration of Independence say? That all men are created equal. You know, this whole thing about racism, it's a sin. And I'll say this, it's a sin that I don't understand. You know, all sin is wrong. Any sin is wrong. But there's some sins that, that, that people commit, and I can understand it. For example, you've got a kid here in school, and, and the kid breaks a rule. He does something wrong in class. And so he gets called to the principal's office. And the principal says, did you do this? And the kid did it. But the kid knows if he says, yes, I did it, I'm going to be in trouble. And so the, the kid lies and says, no, no, I didn't do that. Well, the kids shouldn't lie. That's the second sin. That, that's even worse. We were always taught growing up, no matter what you do, tell us the truth, because if you lie, it's going to be worse than whatever it was you did. So I, for the kids who are listening today, don't ever lie to your parents. If you do something wrong, come clean, tell them, and it'll be a whole lot better on you than if you try to cover it. The cover-up is most always worse than the sin. So lying is a sin, and I'm not trying to minimize it. I'm certainly not condoning lying. All I'm saying is I can understand why sometimes people lie. They don't want to get in trouble. They want to look good. Uh, we shouldn't lie. The Bible says if lying is a part of your life, you're not even saved because liars will not inherit the kingdom of God. So if somebody habitually lies, it just uh, indicates they've never truly been saved. What I'm saying is lying is a sin, but I can understand why people do it, even though it's wrong. The sin of racism, I can't understand it. I cannot for the life of me understand how somebody could hate somebody just because they have a different color skin or just because they're from a different ethnic background or just because they're from a different country. It is heartbreaking and it is sad. And I say I'm naive because I look at America from my perspective and I just thought we had, we had moved beyond that. And yet in, in recent weeks, we have seen that horrible sin. Listen, 
The Bible says that for those of us who are saved, the love of God has been poured out into our hearts. And one of the ways we know that we're truly saved is that we love people no matter their background, no matter their skin color, no matter their political preference, no matter their kin, no matter anything, that we love people because God loves people. God loves everybody. And we should too. And yet we've seen the sin of racism raise its ugly head, and I pray to God that that, 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 that sin could be repented of, and I pray that, that our country could be full of love. And we've also seen in recent days, by a small minority, but we've nonetheless seen the sin of vandalism and the sin of violence and, and people going in and destroying stores and, and looting buildings and, and, and stealing and taking things that don't belong to them and, and people who've worked their whole lives to build up small businesses. Their businesses have been burned down. And you see this on television. You say, how is this happening? How in the United States in 2020 could, these, could this be happening? And I don't understand how it could be happening, but I know this. If we could be full of the love of God, if we could express the love of God. Yes, we have our convictions. Yes, we see injustice sometime and everything in us cries out and we say, we want justice. But we can't want justice so badly that we create injustice and that we break laws and that we hurt people trying to get justice. That It's counterproductive and it's not working. It's not working for our country today. And that's what I'm saying. In America today, it seems as though we're fighting each other and we're working against each other. Whereas if we could just step back, take a deep breath, look to God, put ourselves under God and say, going forward, we may not agree on every little political issue, but going forward, let's put ourselves under the authority of God. Let's be one nation under God. Let's reverence God and let's love and let's respect our fellow American and let's give them the same love that God gives us. Even if they sin, even if they mess up, let's love them. Let's be patient with them even as God loves us. You know, several years ago, I was preaching a funeral for a man named Mohan. Mohan was born and raised in India and he was not a Christian. Most all of his life, he was not a Christian. Mohan got sick and ended up being put in the hospital, one of the hospitals here in Pasadena. And not many days before he died, Jimmy Herwick, our minister of music, went and visited Mohan in the hospital, had a wonderful visit with him, told him how to be saved, and led Mohan to the Lord. Mohan got saved. And not long after that, he died. And so his wife, Nimi, who I, whom I love dearly, and she's still a faithful member of our church, fighting her own physical battle right now, actually, but Nimi called and said, John, could you officiate Mohan's funeral service? Which gladly I said I would, and I did. And on the day of his service, we met in what was our worship center then. It's, it's our grace center now. And I would estimate that there were about 400 people in attendance that day, many of whom from the nation of India. They had been born there. They had been raised there. Some, have, I'm sure, had traveled there to attend the service. Others had moved to America. But they were nonetheless Indian. And so at the service, many of those from that Indian background wore these long, beautiful robes. Here I am on the platform, a white man, an American, Caucasian. And I'm getting ready to speak 
at Mohan's service, a man whom I had come to know and love too, just like I love his wife, Nimi. And as I looked across that congregation and as I saw 400 or so people from the Indian culture in their beautiful robes, this thought ran through my mind. Wouldn't it be a beautiful thing when we come to church here at First Baptist on Sunday if we had three or 400 or so people from the Indian culture who could come to church and wear their beautiful robes. And that just sent my mind going even farther. And I thought, wouldn't it also be beautiful when we come to church on Sunday if we had about that many or even more people from the Hispanic world who would come and and who could worship with us? And I thought, wouldn't it be wonderful on Sundays when we gathered together here at First Baptist if we could see hundreds of African-Americans coming to worship God here. And I just started thinking about all these different people groups and all these different ethnic backgrounds. And I began to think about Asians. And I began to think about, and I thought, wouldn't it be wonderful when we come together on Sunday if we could have white people and black people and Hispanics and Asians and Indians? You know, today in our culture, you hear a lot about the black church or the white church or the Hispanic church or the Asian church, or the Indian church. Friend, let me remind you today, there's only one church, and that is the church of God in Jesus Christ. And it would be a happy day for me, and I'm sure a happy day for you, and I know a happy day for God, if he could look down in our midst and see under the same roof, one people, one nation, one body under God, worshiping him from our different backgrounds and from our different perspectives. You know, when we get to heaven, that's what it's gonna be like. The Bible says in heaven we'll gather around the throne from every tribe and every tongue, every nation, every kindred, every people, every skin color will be together there in God's presence, worshiping Jesus. We'll be one people under God, under the blood of Jesus, worshiping him with all of our hearts. And I say to myself, if it's going to be like that in heaven, why can't it be like that down here on earth? Why can't we? refurbish the American castle? Why can't we, through our political processes, through our Democratic and Republican parties, through our elected leaders, why can't we build a a wall that would help us to have one nation under God built with these two stones, reverence for God and love for our fellow American citizen? And I believe if we did that, God would be pleased We would be blessed and we would begin to experience in our own beloved America what Jesus taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. With our heads bowed and eyes closed today, would you just make that your prayer right now? Would you say, God, help me to do my part? I'm only one person. I'm not an elected leader. I don't have that type of authority. But God, in my daily life, in my dealings with others, God, in the candidates I support, in the political process that we go through, God, help me. Give me, God. Give me the grace and the strength to do my part, to refurbish our country and to refurbish the political wall. God, with a reverence for you, and with a love for my fellow citizen. With heads bowed and eyes closed today, it may be that as I've been preaching this sermon on America, that God has spoken to your heart and that God has revealed to you that the reason you don't have love in your heart is because you don't have God in your heart. Because God is love. And one of the 
telltale signs of a true Christian is love. Love for everybody. And so if you don't have love in your heart today, if you don't know that you have God living in your heart today, would you pray this prayer? Say, Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart. Forgive my sins and make me a Christian. I ask you to save me. And I trust you to do it. I trust you right now, Jesus, with all my heart. Now fill my heart, fill my life with love. God, help me to live my life. Help me to build my life, not just America, but my family, my business, everything about my life with these two stones, reverence for you and love for everybody else. Help me to live that way. In Jesus' name I pray. And all the people said, amen and amen. We hope that today's message, America at a Crossroads, part two, has been a help to you today. You can find this message along with part one and many others on our website, www.peacebybelieving.org, under the broadcast tab. Thank you for being with us today, and we look forward to you joining us on the next Peace by Believing with John Redmond.